0: Nepal last week. I know lots of you have seen different pictures and videos and things I sent through while I was away. But uh, as I'm here in the flesh, I thought it'd be helpful just to talk a little bit about uh, my week in Nepal. So I've got a couple of pictures. Aaron and Tash, Lacey, Obviously, most of you know them. Aaron and here, and then they left us last August to go to Abu Dhabi. I, I was so encouraged by how well they have slotted into Abu Dhabi life. I I, I couldn't live there, it's a strange place, but they have got so integrated into the church, had a great time with the pastor talking about Aaron coming into eldership at that church and then already talking quite seriously about Aaron and Tash planting another congregation somewhere in Abu Dhabi a couple of years down the line. So they're really into church life and it's very exciting to to hear about what God is doing in Abu Dhabi, how uh, many people are responding in faith, and um, only 11% of the population of the UAE is actually local Emirati Arabs. The rest are all migrant workers, uh, the vast majority of whom come from the Indian subcontinent. And there's so many stories about people coming from India and the Philippines and Pakistan and Bangladesh and other countries like that and meeting Jesus while they are in, in the, the UAE. And then going back to their own countries and starting churches in their own countries. So it's, a, it's an amazing place for Erin and Tash to be, and they've got a real heart to see God move um, amongst some of the groups who perhaps Westerners wouldn't normally mix with in that very, a very stratified society. So it's very encouraging to be with them and see what God's doing. And then uh, on to Nepal, where I was part of a conference. Uh, we had about 350 leaders from about 35 churches that we're working with in Nepal. <laughs> turn the sound down. We don't really, uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about being there was they're just they're very uh, lacking in self-consciousness when it comes to worship. And I think we, have, we can be very self-conscious about how we worship. And I really enjoyed the liberty of worship. And I think one of the encouragements I'd want to bring back to us is to be uninhibited, unembarrassed about the way that we worship Jesus. It was just refreshing to be in that kind of environment. Um, these are people many of whom are, are very materially poor um, one of the pastors his wife had died she had pneumonia would have cost200 dollars to treat her didn't have 200 dollars she died that's a, that's a reality of life for many of these people um, but full of the grace of God and full of the joy of God uh, here's a picture of uh, Sir Brian who's the uh, American guy um, we were all given these hats at the end of the, of the time they were too small for our large western heads. Um, uh, Brian, Brian is heading up the work that we're doing into, into Nepal. And Brian and his wife Rachel are going to be with us in June when we have our church day out in June on June the 23rd. Is that right, Ian? Or was it the 16th? 16th. Thank you, John. June the 16th. Brian and Rachel Barr will be with us from Houston, Texas. So get that date booked in your diary. Uh, Brian's a fantastic guy, really good friend. I love him. And these are some of the three of the pastors. Um, from who leading churches there in Nepal, just awesome guys. So uh, we need to keep reminding ourselves that we serve a God of the nations, that we, um, we're blessed here at Gateway by having people from different nations amongst us, part of our family, and that God has called us to mission here, but he's called us to mission to the ends of the world as well, and that we're partnering together with people out in little mountain villages and remote parts of, of Nepal. We're brothers and sisters together called to make Jesus known. Amen. Fantastic. Well, let me introduce Howard. Howard's wife, Naomi, is here as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: thank you. <laughs> uh,
0: Naomi, being the brains and the beauty of the partnership, but uh, yes. Howard speaking to us this morning. Howard is. <laughs> Howard and I have been friends for the last 23 years. Well, it was. We were up up know. to that point, when uh, Grace and I moved to the church where Howard and Amy were and where Simon and Sarah still are, and um, yeah, Howard's been here before, with us in other settings here at Gateway, but uh, in terms of how we work together as, as partnering across churches, um, Howard is somebody that we've said, you have a free kind of voice to speak into us as a church. If uh, we, as elders, get kind of get into any trouble, he's one of the people we'd go to and say, "Can you please help bring some outside perspective? We're not just doing this thing on our own." And uh, so, Howard's a, a good personal friend. He's also somebody I respect in terms of his ministry. Serial church planter, currently leading a church in Cheltenham, which he and Naomi started a few years back. And uh, yeah, I love this guy, and really blessed to have you here this morning. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Howard.
1: Brilliant. Hey, it's lovely to be in this building. Uh, I've seen kind of, we came in first time and Matt, we we clambered through a whole lot of rubble and we came in here and went, whoa, we're going to have this building. And then uh, I've sort of, every time I've popped down, I've kept sticking my nose in here. Uh, And so it's fantastic, isn't it? Don't you think it's fantastic to actually see it like, you know, full space for salvation growth, but, you know, full. I think that also I, I do feel that because you don't, you don't have the, the history at the other building, I do think you should go for mosh pit worship. <laughs> you know, I, I think I remember uh, when I was younger that the, 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 the way that Charismatics did worship was like this. And I, I was in sick up with Matt, and I think Matt and I said, no, no, we don't do it like this, you do it like this. <laughs> so I feel that there's, we've got a history together as moshing for the kingdom. And so um, please, I just want to encourage you, if I ever get invited back, I want to see you moshing, okay? in the mosh pit here, and we'll do some stage diving, and it'll be brilliant. I'm worried that Ian's sitting here, because, actually, I'm going to move over here, because I did have a difficult Sunday, uh, Saturday, watching the, this, the Calcutta Cup, um, and uh, I needed to have an extra gin and tonic to get me through, but hey, the sun's shining, and we're in pool, and it's lovely to be here, and I've already wasted some of my time. Okay, I don't know how you, uh, how, you, uh, have a relation, uh, how you think about these things. Uh, I, I have a, a, a turbulent no next one. Aha! I have a turbulent relationship with these beasts. Um, they do tend to hide behind bushes and uh, you know go on the fifty to thirty mile an hour kind of changeover. And I'm a sort of generally impatient person, so it's like you know I love having my photo taken by the authorities. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how how deep a, 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 a pit I climbed into, but I don't really like speed cameras. Uh, I feel that they're always watching you, uh, and just just as a little survey, just to see the integrity of the ch- ch- people we've got here, who actually speeds but slows down for speed camera? <laughs> <laughs> see, that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to keep the speed limit all the time, and therefore speed cameras are not meant to be a problem for you, but actually, yes, so I, I'm the sort of same guy, and I think it, here's a... I remember a film that Johnny English and the Archbishop of Canterbury has on his pants. Sorry, look busy, Jesus is coming or look busy, Jesus is watching. I think sometimes we can have this idea about about God that we, um, you know, he's always watching us and basically he's watching us like this celestial speed camera trying to check out whether we're actually behaving ourselves, Uh, you know, and so when we're in church, we slow down. And then when we're out of church, woo, we speed up, you know, we, and we, we can have this idea about God that he's forever watching, forever um, checking us up, forever frustrated with us, slightly disappointed with us. Um, and a guy called Richard Dawkins um, actually kind of wrote this down in, in some way. It's a longer quote, but basically I've, uh, I've sliced it for you. He wrote this, I think it'd be rather awful if the existence of God were true. You'd never have a waking or sleeping moment where you weren't being watched or controlled or supervised by some celestial entity from the moment you were conceived to the moment you die. It would be like living in North Korea. Um, and, And there's a sense where I think, you know, Dawkins has got this speed camera God. He's got this kind of watching, supervising, constantly bringing you to court, constantly telling you that you're no good kind of God. He's got this powerful, manipulative dictator who's controlling the world for his own ego. And, and I would say a lot of people think that's what God is like. Uh, you might struggle in, in your moments to think, you know, I'm not doing good enough to God. I need to, I need to do better. But many people outside this building will think that's what God is like. Um, but I think maybe God's more like this. This is a, a clip I found in a newspaper some years ago. Uh, but I think it, it, it kind of says what I wanted to say. It says, an 18-year-old Kentucky woman was killed as she ran into the road to save her child. The child just wandered into the roadway and the mother went to get the child out of the road. Tasha Douglas managed to throw her two-year-old son from the road, keeping him from harm. But she died instantly from the full-on impact of the onrushing car. Tasha's father said, I don't even think she would have thought twice about it. Love does those things. Maybe we we need to have a, a fresh look at what God is like. Maybe we need to recalibrate what God is like and help that to, to recalibrate our lives. Um, in the, the letter to Philippians, uh, Paul uh, writes uh, a passage which we're going to read to you. But in the middle of the passage, there's a, almost a poem or a hymn uh, that, that actually talks about what God is like. But, but what, what Paul says afterwards uh, is, is also challenging. So, so let's read that and pray and then we'll get to work. Philippians 2, verse 1, it should come up here. Um, So if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude or mindset of Christ Jesus, who, though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness and found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence but more so in my absence. There's a speed camera. Uh, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become pure and blameless, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine out Uh, amongst them like stars in the sky as you hold out the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even as I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, we thank you for these words of Paul. We thank you for the Meet in the centre of this passage, this wonderful passage about about you, Jesus. And I pray as we as we look and we as we peer into eternity past and look at the very heart of God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would oh uh, well, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would uh, see you afresh, and we would live lives that l- image you, the poured out God. My talk this morning is. Imaging the poured out God. Let's just unlock this middle bit of the passage. As I said, the, 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 the section that Jesus who being in very nature, God, that section is probably a, an old chorus, an old hymn um, uh, that was around in the church at the time. We don't know, did Paul write it or not, we don't know. But Paul chooses to put it in here uh, to illustrate how, how we should live. Uh, and so let's just unpack that and then see how we roll. So he starts off with a, with a huge statement. Jesus... Who in being in very nature God. I mean, it's a massive statement for a Jew to write. It's a massive statement for, for, for him to write, Jesus is God. I mean, we, don't, we just kind of that just kind of, yeah, yeah, we just kind of tick that and don't move on. But you've got to understand in the context of the, of the culture, the context of, uh, 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 of, of Jewish culture, but also in the context of, of Roman and Greek culture, to say that Jesus was God is massive. The journey that the disciples went on. To um, to get to that point was huge. You can read it if you read the gospels. Just try and trigger as they're finding out what God is like. So there's the the, the classic one uh, where the in um the fishermen are in a boat. Uh, they are going across the lake. There's a massive storm. They're scared of the storm. Why wouldn't you? You would be scared of the storm. Uh, And and they say, we're going to drown. Jesus uh, uh, says to the storm, peace be still, rebukes the storm, and there's this dead calm. And then it says, they were very afraid. And said, what category, what kind of man is this that even the wind and waves obey him? They're almost saying, Jesus is in another category altogether. We don't have a category for him. It's not like there's generally good people, and then Jesus at the end of the line is a generally good people. We've got another category. Here's, here's, here's one who's divine. Here's one whose very nature is, is God. He's come amongst us. So it says they worshipped him. That's the response when you see what God is like it's to worship him. But obviously they saw him in, in his power, but they're making that journey. Peter goes, you, are, who do people say they am? There's a discussion who people say I am, and, and then Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Boom. Here is a, here's a sense of, of, of they're making the journey into what we call the Trinity. They're, they're realizing that, that, that God is three. That's the, the three from the three to one course. I don't know if you've got any friends going, we've run the course in, in Cheltenham. It's a great, great course, but the three of the course is God is Trinity, and you might think, well, that's, you know, that's a stupid way to start to talk about Trinity, because you know, how do you go like, well, God's really like an egg, is a shell and a yolk, and is like, oh, he's like this three clovered leaf, or he's ice and water, and we just think, oh, it's just all incredibly confusing. But what we're going to find in this passage is actually that, that 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 Paul gets us to look into the Trinity. And actually that helps to change lives. And, and, and so just 3, to 1 is great like that. Um, and so he, he says, Jesus in very nature God. He nails that down. Let's get um, no discussion. Jesus in very nature God. But then he says he did not consider equality with God. It's interesting that you can read that and think, oh, right, that, that Jesus is considering something. And he's trying to think, he's considering, thinking about how to be like God. How to be equal with God, as if he's like a lesser God, as if he's some God down here who's got to climb his way up and say, right, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to, I'm going to be on the throne like God because uh, I'm not like God. I mean, that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses think. They think, oh, Jesus is a kind of lesser God and he's making his way up to God. But, but actually, Paul, as we said, has said, no, Jesus is very nature God. He's very equal with God. He's already, he's already there, so therefore, he's not saying that. He's saying Jesus does not consider. He's considering something. Or actually, he's considering someone. What he's doing is, he's doing what he's been doing through all eternity. He's been considering someone. He's been looking and considering his father. Before the world was made, before you were existed, before anything existed, the father was loving the son, and the son was loving the father. They, as it all said, looked into each other's faces and contemplated each other for all eternity. They weren't bored and said, oh, we need something else to do. They looked and considered, and Jesus is considering something. He's considering, Paul says, what it means to be like God, what it means to be God-like. He's not saying to be, how does he make himself equal? He's saying, what is it like to be like my father? Uh, whether that actually went on or not, but what, is Paul saying that, that's what's happening, that the Jesus is considering his, his father. Interesting. You've probably been doing the same. If you've got a father, whatever age you're, uh, uh, you are, or you've got kids, that's even more scary. I see one or two people with kids. Uh, they are doing the same. They are considering you. If you're a father, they're looking at you. They're considering you. The kids, you're, ki- you're modeling to your kids what, it's, what it means to be the father. If, you, if you're a guy, if you're a mother, you're doing the same. But you're, and your kids are kind of th- making conclusions about it, what, it, what it is to be the father. So here are my kids. Um, I'm the one in sunglasses to cover my slightly, nearly 60-year-old baggy eyes. But my kids look cool, I feel. My, even my wife, is, as Matthew said, looks stunning. Uh, and we, here we are, a picture of our kids. But if you think about my, my kids, they've been, they've been looking at what it means. They've been looking at me all, all our life. So let's, take, let's roll back four years and let's say we're at the, watching the Calcutta Cup. Um, what's this? Sorry. Ragnar Lofbrook <laughs> my middle son, yes. But let's say we're watching the Calcutta Cup. It was obviously England would have won four years ago uh, because it's 10 years since Scotland won. But yeah, let's say we're watching the Calcutta Cup, and this is how it rolls. Who's going to have the best seat in front of the TV? I mean, in fact, Naomi still complains this is how it works. But who's got the best seat in front of the TV? Yeah, it's me. And let's say we get out the dairy milk, which we call in our house Daddy Chocolate, which says everything about who consumes the large amounts of daddy chocolate. And I must admit, when the kids were young, this is how it used to go. My wife will, will, will punish me at this point. Uh, she probably guessed it. And I, this is how it went. It's like one piece for me, one piece for Zach, one piece for Jotham. One piece for Damaris. Do you want a piece? She said, no, 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 I'm watching my weight. Okay. And then, I said, and then one piece for me. And then I said, right, okay, let's do that again. Next. So we watch a bit of rugby, and then we go, one piece for me. One piece. Just how it's rolling. And then there was about this moment of revelation about when my daughter, about 14, she said, you're getting more chocolate than me. She's desperate for chocolate as well. And she was realizing. She was realizing something. How does Howard use his position as father... How's he doing it? Now it's interesting, Paul brings us to the same place. Paul brings us to the same place. Jesus has been considering what his father is like. What does it mean to be like his father? And Paul tells us, first of all, what it's not like. It's not this. Jesus did not, Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider being like God or being equal with God something to be grasped or exploited or used for his own advantage. You might have those different translations because they're struggling to find, well, what does he mean here? What does he mean? So some might have had use to his own advantage, some might have grasped, some might have exploited, but basically that's the thrust of it. Paul is saying being like God is not something to be used for your own advantage. It's, it's not that. It's, it's not that God is not this Richard Dawkins dictator who, 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 who kind of has the best seat in the house? Who has all the daddy chocolate? Who has everybody bow and scrape for him? And it's all about him. It's all about him. That he's the self-serving dictator exploiting everyone. No, he's not like that. He's saying he's not that. Actually, there is a there is a God like that. Small G God like that. The Bible calls him Satan or the devil. That him uh, writers call him, but the pre- a pretended God with a pretended throne. There is like that, and he's actually he's actually not for all eternity. But he's also been looking at God and drawn a really wrong conclusion. He's drawn the conclusion that sitting on the throne of the cosmos. Sitting on the throne is, is actually where, the place where everything ro- rolls around you for your own advantage, your own exploitation. And it, it says, in, uh, we see a little window in this. Uh, in Isaiah 14, perhaps, it says, uh, uh, I think it's Satan talking, it says, I will raise my throne above God. I will make myself like the Most High. I'm going to, I've decided what being like God is like, I'm going to sit at the top of the pile and I'm going to exploit everybody else. And in fact, Jesus describes him in the Bible and says, when Satan comes, he comes to, does anyone know? Rob, steal and destroy. He comes to rob. That's yours. Now it's mine. He comes to steal. That's yours. Now it's mine. He comes to destroy. That was yours. I'm having it for myself. He, he, he's like that. And he says, and so, so we've got this sense where, where there's another God that comes in and he comes sliding in at the beginning of the story. If you know the, the Bible story, right at the beginning of the Bible story, this, this God comes sliding in and he says to Adam and Eve, first humans, what's God like? Consider what God is like. Consider what it means to be like God. And he says, you know, what well, the thing about God is God's holding out on you. God's keeping the best for himself. God's really about exploiting you and sitting on the throne and have you kind of drop and give me five in worship. He's he's not, you know, he's he's a god that can't be trusted. You know what you need to do? You need to reach out and grasp independence. You need to reach out and grasp and say, you know what, you're going to be like if you do this. You're going to be like God. There it is again. You're going to be like God if you do that. You're going to reach out and grasp and you're going to sit at the top of the tree you're going to be the one like god and actually you'll have everything will be perfect and in that moment the first sin humanity turned inwards and it chooses we chose all of us chose grasping and exploiting and taking and using for our own advantage it's part of our nature it becomes our destiny death taking in everything to ourselves instead of taking the life of god, having the life of god so death comes it's interesting that the that, 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 that two of 3-2-1 is, is two. The world is shaped by two representatives. What, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Either you have the, the nature of Adam, the, the, the patterns of Adam, or you have the patterns of Jesus. And the patterns of Adam we've just seen are, I reject God. It's all about me. I'm going to take everything to myself. I'm going to become this black hole that sucks everything in. I'm going to climb the ladder and make sure I'm above them. The rat race. We're going to have exploitation. We're going to have. That's how it's going to be. And you look outside in the world and say, "That's what it's like." And we've done. I remember done the three-two-one course. There's a lady called Trudy, and um, she's on the three-two-one course. I'm, I'm, I'm going to swear at this point, so you, you know you can decide whether you laugh or condemn me. But we'd finished the 3-2-1 course, so it'd been like the the one-on-two on on Adam, and basically we described Adam's grasping, selfish, God-rejecting, suicidal kind of nature, and she just said to me, oh, I've got it now, Howard. So basically, if we're we're all in Adam, we're basically buggered. Nobody laughed (laughs) here. But I thought, I said to Trudy, you're right. That life has got no future in it. You know, it's you know, the black hole existence of grasping and exploiting. It's destroying the world. It destroys you. You are in Adam, all die. That's our nature. Bill Heibel's who pastors a church in in, Cal, in, in um, Chicago, says this: At birth, our hands, our tiny hands, are closed. Mind, we cry as we grasp rattles and toys and then bike handlebars. At school and university, we're grasping exam results and it's the hand of your girlfriend. And then you grasp the lowest rung of the career ladder and hang on and climb. Grasping bonuses and houses and holidays as you go. In retirement, you hold on to golf clubs, that's almost where I am, and pension funds. And then it's walking sticks. And at the end, we clutch the edge of the hospital bed hanging on to life itself. Only when we die do we finally relax our grip. That's what we're like. That's what we're like, people. Without God, that's what we're like. We've believed the life on the pretended God who says it's all about us. But Paul says, No, 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 it's not that. That's not what it's like to be like God. There's rather, there's a rather rather. Jesus made himself nothing, emptied himself, poured himself out. There's a lot of discussion about what does "emptied himself mean, but it kind of sounds to me like poured himself out, doesn't it? Poured himself out by taking the very form of a servant and being made in human likeness. I mean, Jesus is the, is contemplated his Father for all eternity and says, actually, what is it like? I'm going to be the poured out one. I'm going to be the poured out one. I'm going to get this bread. The Last Supper... Jesus took bread broke it and says, This is my body. This is my body. This is me. So he broke it and what's the verb he's used? Gave it to his disciples. He so says, This is me, this is my very essence. This is this is who I am. This is this is my divinity, my humanity, this is my broken body, and it's it's given for you. It's given. He it says, after supper. He took the cup, and I'm not going to pour it out. You're okay, guys. But after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, shed or poured out for you. Poured out for you. In that meal, he's saying, look, this is me. This is what I'm like. I'm I'm determined to be the giver. I'm determined to be the one that pours itself out, because I've looked at my God, my Father for all eternity, and that's what he's like. He's the one who gives himself away. He's the one who pours himself out. But interesting, right in the middle of this, Luke tells us, Luke 22 tells us that the disciples are, are doing what Adam's people have always been doing, what humanity has always been doing, and they're having a row. Guess what they're rowing about? A dispute arose amongst the disciples of to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I mean, we just don't stop, do we? Here's Jesus saying, I'm the poured out one, you know, and, and what do we do? Who's going to be the best? Who's the greatest? Who's the most important? Who's got the most Facebook likes? Who do you, what, what, you know, what do we like? And Jesus went, oh, the kings of the Gentiles and the nations lord it over their people. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the one who rules will be like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at table or the one who serves? What's the answer to that question? Who's greater, the one who's at table or the one who serves? The one at table, of course it is. You go to, the, you go to a wedding... And, and the one at table is, is, you know, the bride and groom are at the table. And I, I struggle sometimes. you've ever been to those weddings where the bride and... We did go to one, I think, Naomi, where the bride and groom got really, really nice food. And they get served by the, like, the staff. And then we were down and dirty with the finger food. You know, with like a few sausages and like, what... You know, and, 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 we, and you think, oh, okay, it's there, but it's their day, isn't it? It's fine. It's, it's okay. We get that because the one who's at table is greater than the one who serves. It's, you know, fair enough. But here's, here's Jesus, and you know, you, know, you know where I'm going that Jesus is saying, no, no, no. This is my feast, but I'm going to serve you. What are you like, trying to be the best, trying to sit at the top table, squishing in to get in there, to get in the shot? No, I'm going to be different. I'm not, you're not to be like that. You've had it modeled to you wrong. I mean, look at Caesar. Caesar's like the most powerful man in the world, and he's like the one. And literally, what does he do? He's the grasping, exploiting dictator, the one who's enslaved the nations, the one who's took the wealth of the nations and built himself a big palace on the Palatine Hill and said, it's all about me. Call me God, please. It's all about me. We know where that comes from, but yet he's saying, Look, you've had that model to you, but not so with you. Because that's not what God is like. That's not what God is like. He says, Because I am amongst you as one who serves. I'm amongst you as one who serves. John helps us pick up the story. Same event Last Supper. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Here's Jesus fully aware of who he is and he's got everything. I, I mean, I, I don't need to ask. I, th- I, I, I think I might ask John, actually. John, uh, uh, what would you do if you had the whole world? If you could have everything, everything was under your power, everything in the whole world was under your possession. Now, answer it with integrity. What would you do? It was interesting that Nat Holby in the other meeting said um, something, but I'll, what, did you, what do you think? What would you do? It's a tough question because you don't want to say, man, I'd get everyone to bow and scrape and I'd have all the money in the world, you know. I'd buy the, all the houses on Sandbank, knock them all down and build a big house for myself and I'd clear, you know, wouldn't we? and you, you don't want to say that. I mean, Nat Hobby said, I'll oh, just panic, <laughs> which I feel is the best you can get. But actually, we, we know that we've asked that, been asked that question before. Humanity's been asked that question before, haven't they? Adam, everything in the whole world is yours. You can The whole garden is yours. You can have the whole world. You can have everything. What do you want? I want that. I want that. I want that, that, that thing that, that I've been told you're hiding out on me. I want that. Because... Filling ourselves insatiably, we're never satisfied, we never have enough. Jesus says, What does it profit a person if they if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? But we've sold our souls to gain the whole world, and that's because that's what we've had modeled, and Jesus says, Not so with you. It says, Jesus knew that everything was from his, uh, under his power, that he was coming from God, he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured. The Bible writers never waste a word. I think we said poured because I think John's trying to tell us something's going on here. There's something going on here, poured. Poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel around his waist. On Monday, Thursday, the Queen will wash people's feet. But the rest of the time, I mean, I'm not against the Queen particularly; I think she's good, better than the one's probably that's coming next. Oops. Um, but you know, the, the reality is, the rest of the time she's in pal- she's in a palace where people serve her and look after her and whatever, and then. On Monday, Thursday, she's washing feet. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not thinking, well, it'd be a really nice example if I washed the disciples' feet because that made me look really humble and really kind of nice and, and all that. No, he's doing that. He does what he does because that's who he is. He's do it, taking the form of a servant because he's, God has always been the poured out one. God has always been the one who gives himself away. God has always been the one who serves. He washes the, the betrayer's feet. He washes Peter's feet. He washes Judas's feet. He, you know, he's, he's come to, to pour himself out on us to make us clean. Not because we deserve it, but because of who he is. Being like God is self-giving. It's not grasping, but overflowing. It's not exploiting, but serving It's not taking or turned in, but it's poured out. And you could have thought, well, that's a great revelation. We could stop there. But Paul says, no, there's more. If you want to know how poured out, how given away this God is, there's more. He says, therefore, being made in human likeness, he became a servant. Being made in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mark writes this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give, give, give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he's doing. It's not just doing that as part of the rescue mission. He's doing that because that's who he is. He's the God who gives himself away. So Jesus is betrayed and arrested and tried, condemned, mocked, whipped, spat upon, led away, and stripped naked, nailed to a cross. And when crucifixion happened in Roman times, at that point, the the, the one crucified would swear and shout at 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 their executioners. They'd spit and mock at the people, and the people would mock at them, and there'd be this kind of angry outburst. And here's Jesus. Father, forgive them. Here's Jesus offering life to a grasping thief. Here's Jesus saying, Mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. Pouring himself out. Even though the darkness tries to crush him, it's unable to put him out. He he rises from the dead. But but Mark records a moment of his death. He says, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed it last. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man is the Son of God. Here's a centurion. On his coins, it used to say, Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. Caesar the divine. Roman soldiers would swear allegiance to the divine Tiberius. But but this centurion looks at the cross, looks at Jesus dying and says, not that, but this, this man dying. This is what it means to be God. Truly, this is divine. Truly, this is what it means to be God. Daryl Johnson, a book called The cross Shape God, I'm sure, uh, says this. Calvary, or the cross, reveals what it means to be God. Self-emptying, sacrificial love is the proper expression of divine status staggering, isn't it? Jesus dies on a cross because he is the God that gives himself away. He's the God that pours himself out. He he can't help it. He pours out, pours his love in the universe, pours his love out to us. He can't help it. He's determined to be the giver. God the Father is determined, though, to take this self-giving love and project it and say, this is what the universe is to be like. This is what humanity is to be like. Paul puts it like this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him, Jesus, the name above every name, at the, the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven on an earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's going to sit on the exalted throne of the universe is not grasping, exploiting, dictatorial, uh, uh, It's actually self-giving love, giving himself away. He's going to take that and exalt it. There's a day coming where that self-giving love is going to come back in Jesus. Is going to come back in all his power and glory. I don't believe he's going to come back now and pretend I'm the nasty, judgmental, but he's going to come back. And it says people will be consumed by the glory of his coming. In other words, the the goodness, his goodness will be so bright that our grasping, self-centered, turned-in kind of natures will be burned away, they'll be shriveled away. He'll take everything out of the universe that's bad and evil and and remove it because he's going to have self-giving love at the center. Every knee will bow. Our knees will give way, every knee will give way. A breath will be taken away. Christian or non christian will bow, but some to life and some to death. And Jesus is coming, and this world is unprepared. In our grasping, dark, self-centered world that we see, and it just feels like it gets worse and worse, Jesus is coming for that world, coming to that world. He's coming to project all his greatness and goodness and glory on that world and the world is unprepared. And we cannot live indifferent to that. We cannot live indifferent to that. Let me just uh, push this through and finish. Paul writes in Philippians 2, continuing, so you could go away and say, well, isn't that amazing? God is loving and caring and self-giving, pours himself out, gives himself away, gives, gives me life, pours out his spirit. That's fine. I'll go away and feel good. And you should go away and feel good. You should go away and feel loved. But actually, put, put, Paul gives us some things to go away that's more tangible than just good feelings. Let's read this. It says, Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you to act and fulfill his good purpose. Become pure and blameless children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine out among them. That's the generation, the crooked generation, like stars in the sky. As you hold out, the word of life. And then I, says Paul, will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But I am being poured out. Like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming for you, safe faith. Let me just race through these in five minutes. Paul says to work out. Work out your salvation. That doesn't mean you've got to try harder. There's a dictator, there's a speed camera God in the sky, and you've got to try harder to ex. To impress him, don't you dare break the rules. Don't you do do that because you've got to try harder to impress him. You've got to earn your salvation. You've got to grasp at salvation. No, it's not that. It's not about earning, but it is about effort. The grace of God. This is a good thing to remember. The grace of God is opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort. Nine times the New Testament writers in Peter, four of five of those, Peter says, make every effort. We have to make an effort, people. Not to earn God's grace, we've got to make an effort. But actually, how do we make that effort? We've got to live in the overflow. For if Paul says, for it's God who works in you. This is how you make the effort to live salvation life. There's a, there's a, a, a fountain in, in Derbyshire in Chatsworth House, and it's a cascade fountain, and it starts at the top, and it, it cascades down through pool after, pool after pool after pool after pool, and then flows out into this big kind of reflecting lake. I think that's, that's what, what Paul means here when it says God works in you because, no, the, the God is the God who's giving away and poured himself out and he pours him, he's always poured himself into the Son and the, the Son came and incarnate, lived amongst us and poured himself out and as united with us. That's the one of 321, by the way. As united with us, then we are not to say we're the reflecting pool. We just sit and re- receive. Now we're to pour out. We're to pour out, we're to pour out, we're to work out our salvation so that it's God's purposes are fulfilled. And we've got to make an effort to do that. We've got to make an effort, work it out, we've got to try. We're going to shine out. If you live a life that's like Jesus' life, if you live a life that's given away, that's, that's poured out, that's, that, that's an attitude that's not about yourself, as Paul says, but, but about others, that shines incredibly brightly. That shines incredibly brightly. We had a lady, uh, not the same lady who, who, who'd uh, uh, expressed about Adam, but another lady called uh, uh, Tracy who, who became a Christian in our 321 course. She'd never been to church before really much. And she came to our meeting, and, and, and I just thought it was like an okay meeting. Um, and, you know, how you do with church sometimes. And she said to me afterwards in a tea and coffee, oh, there's just a glow about your people. They're just like amazing. What is it about these people? And I just thought, I so easily forget that we shine. Well, You people shine out. As you go out through this door into your neighborhoods and families and workplaces, you shine out. I remember uh, somebody uh, saying about, t- about Naomi, I'm going to embarrass you, somebody said, work didn't they? They said, well, just, just said to Mark, Mark's one in the church works with Naomi, just said, Mark, there's something about you. And, he said, and, and then he said, Naomi, do you go to the same church as Mark? And say, so, said, oh, I can tell. There's just something about you. You shine out. You know, so you can get really worried about the world and think, whoa, this is an incredibly dark and horrible world. But actually, uh, Paul says, you know, as the backdrop gets darker, you shine brighter. You're going to shine out amongst them. Now, I hate the world getting dark and black and horrible, but actually, you shine out like them. You know, it's the, the ready brick. I mean, you're not really the demographic, but there was an advert, but basically, ready brick. Well, they used to eat this ready brick in the morning, and then they go out, and they have this glow about them, you know, like warming ready brick. The gospel's much better than ready brick, thank you. You know, but you shine out. But also, it doesn't mean just shine out. I mean, just does not mean walk down the high street, and everyone's going to go, aha, Jesus is Christ. I must follow him. That might help, but actually they're going to ask you something. So I know um, Francis of Assisi said, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Sorry, Francis of Assisi. Survey said, no. Paul says, shine out and hold out. What do you hold out? It says hold out. It's interesting, it's empty hands here, isn't it? It's empty hands. It's not grasp for yourself. Grasp people to fill your church building so you feel like an important leader. No, hold out open-handed, hold out the gospel, hold out the words of life. So as you go about your business, you need to tell people. I found 321 is a really good way to, to tell people about, about what I believe. People ask you, what do you believe? And you say, hmm, I believe God is three. He's a loving community of three. I believe the world is shaped by two representatives, Adam and Christ. I believe you're going need. Are you going to be are you with Adam or are you going to be with Christ? It's just easy. But you need to have a way You need to have a way. You say, this is what I believe. Because you hold out the the gospel. Let's finish. And then lastly, we're to live poured out lives. Paul says, I am being poured out. says it in Timothy, actually. He says, I've kept the faith. I've run the race. And now I'm being poured out. Paul went from this kind of grasping, uh, kind of murderous kind of guy to a guy that poured himself out. The whole life poured himself. You are called to that. Not just Paul, we're all called to it. I, as I'm speaking, I feel, the oh, need you, Jesus. Need you, Jesus. But, but, I, but I'm not the start of it. I'm under the cascading waterfall. As we, as we take bread and wine, and we'll do that in a minute, that as we take bread and wine, it's like, I take in his life. Pour it into me. Paul says, God has poured out his love into our lives by the Holy Spirit He's given us. And so we can pour ourselves out. But we've got to keep fighting because the old lazy Adam says, I want the dairy milk, I want the comfy seat, I want all that. But you've got to say, I'm going to fight against that. I'm going to live a poured out life. The world is crying out for you to live poured out lives. People in pool are crying out for you to live poured out lives. And the thing is, you don't need to worry about getting emptied. Because the way that it works with Jesus is, we're poured out, but never emptied. You can give yourself away and give yourself away and you can never run out. The challenge is we're constantly told it's about me, it's about my comfort, it's about my ease. I've got nothing to give away. That's the turned in life of the grasper. We're to live poured out lives. We're going to break bread together and worship time's gone. I apologize. Um, but why don't you stand, band? Why don't you come back? And we're going to pray. I don't know where to put this. Just stand with me. I'm sorry if we run over. I'm sure you've got nothing that's more important than connecting with Jesus. First of all, I just want to ask you to reflect on your life and maybe you've got some things to repent of. Maybe you've looked at the the nations around and you've thought, about me I want it for me I'm going to fill my emptiness with all this stuff and we need to repent of that and Jesus calls us to his table and says come take, eat fill yourself with me this is my body this is my life given for you this is my blood shed for you forgiveness of sins. Lord, we say we come to the table and we say we come in our emptiness and say fill us. We come thirsty to the fountain and say quench our thirst. We say come fill us, Lord. But as we come, we agree. Lord, we say come and shape us to turned out ones. I pray that we'd shine brightly, that we'd hold out the gospel, that we'd pour ourselves out, that we'd make every effort God, we just pray now. Catches up in your great mission, and this corrupt and warped generation. We pray we shine like stars. Amen.